podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This fan base is amazing. The city of Cincinnati is amazing, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Desmond fakes a handoff, runs to the right. He's got all sorts of room to the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Bearcats! 25, for the middle of the field at the 35, and he is gone! Trey Tucker will take it 98 yards to the house. Ball poked away by DeJulius. Diving on the floor to grab it is Oguama. Bounces it for Lockett. Fires ahead to Adams Woods. DeJulius for three. Good! Cincinnati has scored 17 straight. The one-handed catch. Hands it off to Marcus Jones. He has tackled it to 34. It. And it is over. Zero losses, zero doubts. Opportunity seized as the Bearcats send a message to the college football world. Did you see that? Hello, listeners, new and old. Welcome back to your favorite Bearcats podcast, Viva La Cats. I am your host, Justin Hiles, accompanied by my great friend, Steve Maurer, and we are here to bring you the very best of the Bearcats every single week. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at VivaLaCatsPod and follow us on Spotify, Apple Pods, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to check out at UC Uniforms for all the up-to-date UniTracker info from Steve. <laughs> you can't help but sigh because this week has been a lot. Um, and we have had the highest of highs and the lowest of the lows put right back to back against each other um we'll get into detail but if you watched anything you'll know that we played insanely well against tulsa and very very poorly against temple so steve uh just from the week overall not getting into any details um is it is it bad to let your emotions ride on sports (laughs) justin uh, i listened to another sports podcast shocking that i listened to other podcasts and i'm not totally immersed in our own here justin but um there's a a show that covers english premier league soccer called men and blazers a great show if you're interested in listening to two english guys talk about the premier league or whatever's going on in soccer uh and uh one of the hosts likes to talk about how you shouldn't connect your emotions to sports like you're not a better person if like your team wins or you're not a worse person if your team loses you're probably just the same shitty person you were before the game started <laughs> which is just a funny way to look at it but i definitely uh definitely hurts a little bit you know and um i think during covid like my emotions got downplayed a little bit because obviously there was something a little bit more serious and sports were just kind of like a nice distraction but now that like mm-hmm. i mean obviously covid's still around but it's it's not as it's not as pressing, I guess, if we yeah. all are just gonna agree, it's not as pressing as it was right in like April, May, June, twenty twenty. Um, it hurts more again, and I, yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like the 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 Tulsa game was just awesome to watch. Great game, like pretty good atmosphere there for a Thursday night game. Our buddy said it was the biggest crowd for students he'd seen all year, which is awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. And like it seemed like. Tulsa never plays well in our building, and it was just one of those games where we took advantage of that, got hot, and I think, Justin, what we can just describe this team as is 
we we are many things. We are definitely flawed in some places, but I think we ride on Jeremiah Davenport. When he's great, we're yep. pretty good. When he's bad, we struggle to win. And man, when he's bad and he's taking heat check threes, it's the most aggravating thing because I'm like, <laughs> bro, pass. Like we got 25 seconds on the shot clock. Like work something out. Like f- find a mid range. Get John Newman involved. <laughs> but. Obviously, obviously, saw in the Tulsa game when he's hitting and he's getting like four point plays and going crazy. Then I, I love that man. I call him Flames because right. like he's just awesome. And while this loss doesn't really take us out of tournament contention like completely, it's not a great loss. And like, it's going to be harder for us to stay on the bubble still. Yep. Now, I mean, I think if you get a couple more quality wins, you beat Memphis, you beat Houston, maybe once if not twice, because beating them there would be tough. But Getting a home win against Houston would be awesome. Um, I think I think it just like shows that this is just another year one situation, and just the consistency is not there right now with Wes with the team. And I'm okay with that. I, I think it would be more upset if, like we said, this is Mick Cronin in like year nine. I think he lost a game like there was like 2016 season he lost six games that were like less than five points and like it was a bunch of road games too like we kept losing games in bad fashion and now i I was definitely more upset when it was mick but with wes i'm just trying to enjoy the highs and definitely there are going to be some lows and it seems like at temple in that building there's only 300 people that ever go to those games it's just a really hard place to get yourself excited to play. And then they got stuck overnight last night too, which is just rough. Like yep. that's, that's, that's not fun. Um, they didn't even have to, fi- uh, they couldn't even find a, a propeller plane. Like, I don't know. I think it's also just the pa- fact that uh, like in this conference this year, after we're leaving and now that we're down after a couple rough years, we're kind of like the, all right, this is our time to get them. Like I, I, I heard before the game that, see it beat temple nine straight games and this was probably temples this was a definitely like the new coach's first win against uc and fran dunphy uh perennial conference coach of the year somehow for never leading his team to the ncaa tournament um was like he they always kept losing to us and i'm sure it was just good to finally beat us at their place um but overall justin again i keep preaching it I know you're probably upset with me, but I'm preaching year one, man. That's just inconsistent. It's like Wes has got to figure out how to coach at a little bigger level than he was at Greensboro. Uh, he's got to figure out how to keep those guys motivated, but definitely hurts a little bit more now that we've seen them win a game like this when they won at Wichita, you know? And like if they kept losing road games, then I'd be like, well, they just got to learn how to win on the road. And maybe Temple's a better team than Wichita, but I'm willing to chalk this one up to a really poor shooting performance, like the worst shooting performance uh, since that Houston championship game last year, which was awful. Uh, yeah. And that uh, the uh, the Rashawn Fredericks game of 2019 SMU, where we somehow won 51 to 49 and he had like 15 points out of nowhere. And then he was <laughs> never heard from again. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what about you, Justin? Um, I mean, I don't, <laughs> this coming coming from a from, coming from a side of like I try to look at the team as a very you know I'm I'm a fan I'm obviously biased but I try to look at it very neutrally and like there's no like singling out anybody or anything and I'm not going to do that either um, 
I just I, I watched the two games back to back, and honestly, like we if we just look at it, it's the best game that we've had all season, like offensively, and the worst game that we've had all season offensively, like back to back. There's no there you, you can't pick another game that it's been better. There's of course there's been better wins and there's been uh worse losses per se. Ah, maybe I I don't know if I'd say there's worse losses. There's more painful losses, I think. But I would almost argue that this is the most painful loss because of what was um, what what came before it. But regardless, um, between Tulsa and Temple here, like it's just the way the AAC's been going this year. Like, and I, I you know, obviously there's a lot of things that we'll get into detail wise to chalk it up, but it's just another one of those things that has proved to me that the American is just it. it doesn't make any sense <laughs> it really doesn't because teams that should beat other teams like and to be fair too we went into temple's house um we sh- so technically you know already they have a home field or home court advantage even if it's 300 people in the arena but regardless we should go into that game confident that we can win that even if it's on the road um and of course um you know as any player would say it's hard to win a game much less on the road um but Shoot, dude! Like, <laughs> I I looked at the game flow too for these games, and one is just a nice ladder straight up, and the other one, which you can assume which the difference between those is, is just like a set of stairs, like, and it's just plateau jump, plateau jump, and like, I I don't know. I I want to I want to go into detail because that to help explain these more but it's just a massive difference between these and I I for all the consistencies that we try to look uh look to between like the, for the team between game to game to game um I'm absolutely lost and confused again um so <laughs> we'll go we'll go back a little bit and talk specifically about Tulsa because to go into detail um, what we saw from Tulsa was arguably insane as compared to any three-point shooting performance that we've seen from the Bearcats. And the Bearcats have actually had some pretty stellar three-point shooting performances this year. Um, but, I mean, it was lights out. This is something that, like, a Mick Cronin team couldn't even sniff. Like, it's not even it's not even a realm of possibility, um, at least as the way those teams were formed. But... Looking at it now, like they shot 55% from the three, which is just an absurd number when you're shooting 16 for 29, uh, which 16, I think, was also another um, at least season high. I don't know where that would be in sort of all time of like the past decade or, you know, even, um, you know, historically throughout the team. But 55% from three is pretty high. Um, of course, 47% from the floor and 80% from the line. So offensively, everything was going. Um, we had 19 turnovers, which is a bit high, um, but it was really hard to even tell that we had those. Like there was a couple where it was like, okay, we shouldn't have given those up. But regardless, 19 turnovers against 16 threes for the game. Like it was just so hard to notice it because every turnover or two or three was covered up by one three. I mean, and it was just the crowd was electric. The team was into it. Everybody was feeling it. Specifically, 
Davenport had 24 points, and this goes to your uh, point earlier of when he's hot, he's hot, and when he's cold, he's cold. And it's, uh, you know, he went seven for nine from three, uh, tied his previous PR that he set against Memphis just a few weeks back. Um, DeJulius had 20 points. The two of them, DeJulius and Davenport, combining for 44, which is great, especially at the collegiate level, um, went four for six from three. Uh, Maul had a nice 14.7 assist game, which included six for six from the line. Um, and Mason Matson stepped up, uh, went four for five from the three in this game too, which was nice because we haven't really been able to see him get into a shooting rhythm yet. We know that he has the potential and we've seen it before, but we just haven't really seen it on this season. Um, which also I believe he ended up with, if I look at that again, I think it was 14 points. Um, let's see. Yeah. 14 points. So that would also tie or, uh, set a personal record for him as well, which hopefully we'll get to see him blossom a bit more. Um, and one other interesting player that we saw got a lot of action was Jarrett Hensley had 19 minutes on the game. Um, haven't seen him get a lot of court action yet, but he played really hard and nabbed six boards and as, uh, as well had two blocks. Um, and he's a very like athletic, like physical player. Um, we just don't get to see much of him just kind of based on, I guess, the dynamic that the team has set and what West chooses for his lines lineups. But again, you know, in a game like this where you can really start opening it up, um, a lot more guys are going to get some playing time. I think we might've even seen, uh, CJ Anthony and yeah, CJ Anthony stepped in the game, uh, for a couple minutes too, as long with age, uh, along with AJ McGinnis, which I'd like to see him play a bit more too. That's a personal note because I think we've already seen bits and pieces of him and we just want to know what else we've got. But regardless, the Tulsa game, was set. It was solid. It was stone, iron. Like I, I. That is what you want from a Bearcats team, and like you can't get that every night. I understand that, and I get that the next game that we have is on the road, and I get that the next game that we have is against Temple. But wow, I, I want I want you to give me just one one tidbit from the Tulsa game that really stood out to you before we go to Temple. Huh? Give it to me, baby. No, no, no. I want you to give me one. Oh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, yeah, be... the, just him going uh, seven to ten for three was. I thought he was going for the Melvin Levitt record, which was like, uh, which would have yeah. been awesome. Would have loved to see that. But um, and I think just the fact that we played so well and we didn't like let them get back in the game at all well, we've seen that a couple times this year when the Bearcats yeah. like get up and then last night obviously they Tuesday night they let up that that big lead and uh, it went went away but this time it didn't it stayed with them and they kept building and building on it and obviously like we're not going to have many bad teams in the future uh, schedule gets harder after this and it'll get harder once we get into the big 12 but if we can keep building on leads and just not like go down by, you know, let an eighteen point lead whittle down to six, or like last night, let a twelve point halftime lead fizzle out into a three point loss, like that, yep. you know, obviously not great. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, uh, I've I, I just dropped something here in the chat. I'm sure you've probably already seen these at some point um, since the unfortunately, games, but. Um, looking at the game flow, like this is something that like a lot of people are just gonna say, okay, whatever, but. I like looking at this because I think it's a very telltale way to see how a game went. Like, because it's the only way that like without looking at a play by play ev like 
every single shot, every single turnover, everything. This is the best way that you can see how teams performed over the course of the game. Um, and Tulsa, like in, in the, in the beginning of that game, um, you know, just trying to get into a rhythm towards the, uh, beginning, middle of the first half. And then about right around the eight minute in mark, um, that's when the Bearcats started taking off and then they plateaued a little bit, but that was the only real time that they had struggled was for a good four or five minute stretch there. Um, and then after that, they took off for the entire rest of the game, just kept scoring, you know, every single trip down the court, uh, what it felt like at least. Um, and then you have the temple game flow, which I will get to the temple game flow here in a second, but I just have to have a quick temple rant. This is not anything against any of our players. This is not anything against our program or anything that has to do with the Bearcats. This is simply against temple. I hate temple. Temple <laughs> is the worst because they have one of the most consistently like I, wrecking ball esque teams that like just their 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 concrete ball of wrecking is just swinging back and forth 24/7 and you might be under it but you never know it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter how good you are how poor you are eventually that wrecking ball is just going to come around and it's going to snag you and you don't know when it's going to happen but it's going to get you and temple is that team they it, it's it feels like you're just in some kind of random number generator and Temple finds a way, and and they have a piss poor fan base that does not care about their basketball team or their football team. They don't care about their sports at Temple. I don't know what it is, but like nobody shows up, and you pair, and especially in a city like Philly, that's like full of like adorning fans who love, live, and die by their teams. Nobody cares about Temple, but regardless. Nobody cares. Nobody shows up. And for some reason, every time we go on the road against Temple, but even more so when we play Temple, it's just a rock fight and it's it's hard to watch. And Temple finds a way to keep you within five points at at the end of the game. And they just make your it feels like you're going to have a heart attack. I looked at uh, some of the metrics throughout the game, too, um, that they had coming up. Um, the last three games, so now this is the fourth, but the last three games before this one were decided by three or less points. So this makes four straight games that have been decided by three or less points against Temple, of those which we won the last nine straight. The last time that Temple beat us was in 2016. And so again, for a team that has a fan base that doesn't care, and for a team that just always seems to be in it, I hate losing to a team like this. And for all the reasons that you already mentioned too, you know, like it's, you, you got to fly out to Philly, which is one of the, you know, farther trips Northeast and nobody wants to go on. It's why we got rid well, why UConn partially was out to UConn wanted to go to the big East to be the big bad bull. Look at them now. Anyways, they're out there and it's just a shitty trip to take. Like, and I, I don't, I thoroughly don't enjoy this team. I this was going to be a quick rant, but I just I don't like Temple, and it's not a rivalry. It's not anything because we've beat the hell out of Temple so many times. But God, it, it's frustrating playing this team every time because they are the consistently the one team that always 
puts the rock under our foot, always has the tripwire set. And this year, this time, and this game, they got us. I'm just pissed. I'm just pissed. Well, you can also attribute this loss to uh, some hallmarks of the team that we've seen all year from them. They got out-rebounded. Temple had 50 to our 42. Temple shot 32 free throws to our 18. Um, And then, like... I saw some people complaining about the lineups uh, uh, that Wes was throwing out late in the game, and I wasn't really paying as much attention to that. And obviously I knew Victor Locken was returning from injury last night, and yeah. he probably wasn't at full strength. But John Newman still played 30 minutes. He played fairly well. He had nine points, nine boards. But, like, yeah. Odie only getting nine minutes. Like, Koval had 13, and he missed all of his shots. Like, I enjoy a Koval three from time to time, but those two late yeah. threes that he took that you like, it just, mm-hmm. you knew they were going to miss. It was just frustrating. Like Saunders had 16 minutes, but he only had one point. Like we didn't, we only got 11 bench points. That's just, that's not going to cut it. And like the thing, Justin about our team too, that just from watching on a very rudimentary basis is like, we do not go up to the hole and try to get yeah. fouled that much. And like Temple yeah. had a bunch of blocks last night too. Cause I feel like we're trying to go up and like they had, they had like seven blocks last night and we to our yep. three. And I feel like we kept trying to go up to the hole and like it would either get blocked or we were just like laying up like three feet away. We weren't trying to get, and obviously that's easier said than done. You don't want to get a charge call, especially if you have like three or more fouls, but still like, it's just, it was just frustrating. And then like, I feel like Davenport three of 14, two of 10, like, some point he's gonna have to say, "Okay, I am. I don't have it tonight. I need to help out yeah. the team." And, and he's usually pretty good at that. But uh, and then uh, David also four fifteen two of six. And like, is it just as simple, Justin, as okay? These two guys are just they just don't have it tonight, and we just got to find other ways to score. And we just don't have other scorers right now. Like we have those two guys, but none of the other guys that played last night. I would say is a reliable scorer right now. Maybe Victor, but Victor's hurt, you know. And like, yeah. I, if you want to well, just keep it simple, I think it's just those things. If you want to be on a more meta level, it's issues that have plagued this team all year. Not enough free throws, uh, getting beat on the glass, and just letting. Temple's not even more experienced than them. They started three freshmen last night, and like the, those freshmen played like thirty-seven, thirty-four, and thirty-two minutes. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just well, frustrated. <laughs> I, I I feel it. And like one thing I'm I want to jump into your point too about like just the how the team performs when we're on and off. It really does all come down to Davenport and Julius. Like they are certifiably the two scorers that are going to decide the night. If they're on, we're on. I mean, we again we saw it against Tulsa. We've seen it against so many other teams this year. When they're when they get it going, like we we're not having any issues because it. As, there's a certifiable level of confidence that you can give the ball to Davenport and to Julius, and they'll go get you a bucket. Um, and I think, and 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 this is no discredit by any means to Davenport either, because I think he is really the key guy and he's the center of the team. But I think DeJulius, too is even more of that go get a bucket kind of guy, just because of his ability to shoot from range, mid range, and. Um, at the hole like I mean he can he can do all three of those pretty consistently and I think Davenport can do those as well but I think it's just his ability to create space I think we honestly might be relying more 
we should be relying a bit more on DeJulius. Now, this is switching, you know, kind of to that point that you made, too, about sort of the game plan of these, you know, live and die by the threes is like, I 100% get that. Like, and I don't know, I I would figure this is all going to come down to Wes's game plan because, you know, I, I for a guy like Davenport, you know, like the when the rhythm's there and he knows that he can get it, he just needs, he's the kind of guy that if he can hit that three, he's going to get the confidence and he's going to go into the next one. But the problem is, is that it just doesn't feel consistent game to game. But we've seen like over the past four or five games before that, he had been dropping 20 points a game, had generally three or four threes a game. Um, and then two of those had seven. So like he's been consistent enough, but it's we've seen it when when there's those games where it's just ice cold. You've I don't know. I, I like I said, I feel like it has to be Wes's game plan, but you got to let it go. Like you got to give the ball up to somebody else because I mean, I, I the thing that I look at in this game is Madsen had 10 minutes and Saunders had 16. Forget anybody else and everybody else on the team. Newman, I think, did a great job. I can, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about him because nine points on nine boards with five offensive boards too. He was hustling all night and he was fighting for every play. He was getting motivated. He was had energy. And at the end too, he called a timeout, which should have been called that didn't get whistled. And that was what ended up giving Temple that quick, you know, extra couple points at the end of the game that ended up winning it for them um, and put us on the bad end of the final 20 seconds. But regardless, Mason and Mikey only had 10 and 16 points respectively, or 10 and 16 minutes respectively. And so when I look at that, like if you're looking at shooting, like Saunders only had three shots. Like that's not, I don't, again, don't think that's an aggressiveness thing. Like we've relied on him a lot this year and throughout a lot of games. And I don't know whether it was just kind of the game plan of the night. He had no turnovers. Granted, he got into some foul trouble, I will say. But regardless, like, we rely on these guys deeper in our bench a lot more than we think we do. And I think that's one thing that, you know, Davenport and DeJulius are going to get a lot of the credit, and they're going to be sort of those guys that we just always say it's the live or die by these two. I think it's the whole lineup. But I specifically think it's some of these key guys, like that sixth man, and for some reason, they just weren't getting minutes. And beyond that weren't taking shots i remember mikey took one solid three it didn't go his way but like i was like where is where are the rest of those shots why isn't he out on the floor and i think that's kind of why a lot of people were saying too like what's the deal with the lineups because you know these guys can blaze through can they all have their specific abilities and they're really good at what they do but like you said too Odie having nine minutes hayden only had 13 like our four starters had 30 minutes but it felt like we just didn't I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm still just confused. I feel like I'm talking for forever on this, but like there's, like I said, the, my main point here is that we can't just rely on two guys because we have so many other scores. We have so many other capable players in our lineup that in this game just didn't get enough time on the floor to actually like, you know, put some pedal to the metal. I mean, and Davenport fouled out too, which granted that was towards the end of the game, but still regardless, Four starters at 30 minutes. That's not how Wes has played the entire season. He's had guys at 27, you know, this or that. But for the first, up until at least conference play, nobody 
topped 30 minutes, except for, I think John Newman maybe had 31 minutes one game. Everybody was playing 20-some minutes, and the rest of the bench was getting plenty of playing time. And in this game, it was not the case. And I don't know if it's just because we were down, but he had starters out there that were forcing shots. And that's just not how you can play if your identity all season has been relying on cycling your whole team. That's just not what we have been, and that's what we played. And I think that's a huge reason why we ended up losing. It's like, if they're not in momentum, you can't force these guys to keep doing that. That was a very, um, you know, mixed sort of thing. Like he'd pull somebody off if he had a, pro- if, you know, he was angry at him, but it would be for one play and he'd put him back in and they'd still have 30 minutes or so. So when they were forcing those shots, they were forcing it. And when it wasn't happening, it wasn't happening. And he never used his bench almost ever. This is not how Wes is. And Wes has used his bench. And for some reason last night, he just decided not to do it. And I think that was a huge, costly factor in that game yeah well justin we also got to remind ourselves that this bench is not like this was bench was put together with uh tape strings and ribbon uh it's just like <laughs> i think that's obviously bearcat fans were upset I, I think a lot of us were just a little bit pissed off after last night you know rough rough game but this is really just the beginning and obviously yeah. It, as long as we're not getting blown out, like I think if you're an eternal optimist, like and I try to be, obviously there's <laughs> points where I can't be, but I try to be optimistic a lot more now. I think feel like that that helps me a lot, like keeps my keeps me sane, keeps my mental health <laughs> good yeah. and uh, good and taken care of. And if I'm being an optimist, I look at it and obviously tough loss, shots weren't falling, but they were finding open shots. They were getting in rhythm. The offense was working. The shots just weren't falling. Um, NBA Pierce yeah. would have hated watching that game. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Personally, I didn't like the end either. Uh, it w- wasn't great. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing that we haven't talked about, though, and I think is a positive, is the defense stayed there. And Yeah, like, it did. You, you hold a conference team to 61 points. This isn't the the 2011 big East anymore. You can't hold a team to 51 points. I don't think that's just yeah. going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen in any league, but if you hold a team to 61 points, you, you should expect to win. And I think like in most of our losses this year, I'll check, uh, I'll check the schedule real quick, but most of our losses feels like we've been holding teams to like 58, 57, 61 or like, you know, it's been mm-hmm. the, I think the, the only game that I can think of offhand, that was a loss that, um, uh, okay, yeah, Memphis game. We lost. Uh, we gave up eighty-seven points in that one. Um, Tulane sixty-eight. Uh, gave up a six. Uh, we gave up eighty-three to, to X. Gave up. Oh, where's the um, Monmouth? Uh, gave up sixty-one. Arkansas gave up seventy-three. So, but only yep. two of those games are really just like games where okay, we gave up. 83 and 87 like where right. that's gonna be tough to win in college basketball if you give up that many points but the other four losses were games where 73 points and under and uh yep. mark titus and tate frazier they host uh, the titus and tate basketball podcast uh they they have a rule of 69 where the team that hits 69 points first usually wins and uh it's obviously a 69 joke but it's kind of true <laughs> like it usually is. in college <laughs> basketball the team that hits 69 first usually wins uh it holds Somebody did a calculation, which I thought was funny. Like last year, it held almost like seventy percent of the time, which is like pretty nuts. Wow. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm I'm happy with the defense. The defense is definitely playing well, and 
if the offense isn't going to show up one night, you know, so be it. We're going to have to take losses as they come. And I think it just, uh, it's going to be a rough couple of years, especially as we get closer to the Big 12 and entering. But for right now, like, I think that's a positive you can take away from this, even after so much negativity. And I am just excited to see how they come out in the next game, which is against uh, East Carolina on Sunday um, after Wes Miller's 39th birthday. And uh, I heard heard Terry and Dan talking about this as I was going to uh, pick up my dinner last night. Uh, We, they, they were talking about how Wes could get his 200th win last night before his 39th birthday, which would be impressive. But I think yeah. his birthday is on Saturday or uh, or Friday or Saturday because uh, then like it will just I think be it's Friday. Okay, it's Friday. So and then he'll just have to try and win at East Carolina on Sunday, which is shockingly a tough place to play for the Bearcats yeah. and for the Memphis Tigers, as we saw. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> apparently um, so. But, well, but yeah. And- Noon start on Sunday, uh, right before the uh, the Bengals game. So yes, it'll be, it'll be an interesting day for Bearcat and Bengals fans. Well, the point that you made too is actually something that I want to dive into just a little bit here, um, because we've again talked about it so many times already this season. But the American Athletic Conference is a bit of a crockpot of shit this year, <laughs> um, and it's like trying to figure out why so many teams are just cutting it close. And I think, you know, I, I, I've gone through, done my research on plenty of the teams and seen, you know, kind of what their flaws are, seen overall their record, how they perform against certain teams. Um, and what I've come to the final conclusion um, is that Memphis has caused all of the problems this year, at least when you look at the rankings. And I think that's going to hold true until the end of the season. I think they're going to be the ones that obviously sabotage the conference. Um, because when you look at the way that Memphis and the entire, like Memphis has performed against the entire rest of the conference. Um, I put out a tweet about this earlier today. just you know, a couple hours ago, whatever. Um, specifically speaking about the Bearcats and then devolving into Memphis was that our three conference losses come against a four and four Memphis temple and Tulane who, again, I would like to remind you, has a less than 500 record. Uh, they're 7-9 and nine right now, yet they're tied with us in conference, which is still funny to me. Um, with all of that, we still bullied SMU, like beat the hell out of SMU by like 17 points, who is sitting solely in second place. And so when you look at that, and then you look at the bottom half of the conference, ECU. USF, Wichita, Tulsa, and which actually includes Memphis here too, um, all coming with at least four losses. It's just not pretty. And but but like Tulsa, okay, you can expect you can chalk it up. They're down there. Wichita, they're not playing anywhere close to expectations of what they would be um, this year. And I think they're having a tough transition. Um, but regardless, Wichita is just out of the picture very quickly because they seemed like they would be all right going into conference. Um, and possibly contenders, at least for second or third. Um, but they're out of the picture. USF is still the crappy USF team for some reason. I don't know. Can you, can you for in five seconds, tell me what it is about USF that has made them so terrible at everything the past few years? Uh, they hired Brian Gregory, and Brian Gregory was bad at Dayton. And if you're bad at Dayton, you probably can't coach basketball. 
there you go. There's your five second explanation. <laughs> five that second makes a lot recap. of sense, though. It's true. Like uh, <laughs> Justin Anthony Grant is the current Dayton head coach, and I would not say that he's a good basketball coach. But he had Dayton and Obi Toppin at the number one seed, and he he should probably yeah. get a little bit of respect for that. So, and Dayton is just generally a good basketball school, basketball program, strong there. And if you if you're not good at Dayton, I don't think you can be good. Like Archie Miller was good at Dayton. Yeah. And we don't think Archie Miller's that good of a coach. He coached himself out of a job at Indiana after Tom yeah. Crean, you know? And if there's any place you should win, like Mike Woodson is showing right now, it could be Indiana. But but didn't Archie Miller coach at Wichita too? I don't think so. Uh I think they, he coached under Greg Marshall. Maybe it was somewhere oh, oh, else. I, I don't know about assistants. I, I I'm my my knowledge of, of assistant uh football coaches is like honestly pretty good, but my assistant basketball coach knowledge is not that not the greatest. I I I just have to look because I swear he played for somebody that I was thinking of. Well, while you recently. looked that up, um, oh, I just want to. No, he was an assistant under uh, Sean Miller. Okay. All right. Well, so I want to read off the last five offensive outputs for our favorite Tulane Green Wave. Um, actually, no, the past six, um, because there's a pattern here. Um, they are, f- oh, they are three and three in these games. Um, so starting with us, they scored sixty-eight against us and won, eighty against ECU and lost. 68 against South Florida and won. 68 against Wichita State and won. 66 against SMU and lost. 66 against Tulane uh, and against UCF and lost. And tonight <laughs> they play Tulsa in the TUL Bowl. So uh, our favorite Tulane Green Wave have kind of fallen off the past two games after being yep. the hottest team in the world for about a good two weeks there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> seems like if you can only score 68 points, uh, that's not great. Yeah. Well, and and that this will this will bring into my point here too that I was about to make about Memphis um, is through more of my digging through their schedule um, oh God, of their conference play so far. <laughs> they uh, they lost Memphis lost eighty five to eighty four to Tulane, which actually is a pretty high performance for Tulane considering they like to score only sixty eight points. Um, they then won three straight against Wichita on the road. Uh, against Tulsa at home by three points, which was incredible considering how much we beat Tulsa by at home. Regardless, uh, then beat us at home, 87-80, to and then have lost their last three straight against at UCF, at ECU, and SMU at home, which is uh, where... I don't know if we covered this. Um, this. I guess this happened in the last week, did it? Or maybe it was before then. I thought it was the last week. Um, that uh, Penny Hardaway had a very uh, mad online approach <laughs> to uh, the media. Uh, he was not having it and dropped some f bombs. Um, uh, Justin, Penny's I want you to drop the clip in, in pain. here for it. <laughs> I want you to <laughs> like go in post. Justin, drop the clip in, please. I'll remind you of it. But yeah, Penny, have you ever lost faith that you can get this done at Memphis? On a, in, a, in the first half like that, when it's unfolding, is there is it embarrassing? And I think the one thing I can say to this media, because this media gets kind of fucked up sometimes when it comes to me, we don't have our full roster. Y'all know we don't have our full roster. Stop asking me stupid fucking questions about if I feel like I can do something. If I had my roster like they did, then I feel like I can do whatever I want to do. I'm coaching really hard. My boys are playing really hard. I'm not embarrassed about nothing. We have four freshmen starting. 
Y'all need to act like it. Act like we got 17, 18, and 19 year olds out here trying to learn how to play against 22, 23, and 24 year old guys. Come on, man. Stop disrespecting me, bro. Like, don't do that. I work too fucking hard. I work way too hard for that. Y'all write all these bullshit articles about me, and all I do is work. We got young kids on the floor. They got young kids on the floor. Laughter. <laughs> Anyways, um, Tulane and UCF are three and four, and SMU is four and two. If Memphis take takes care of business and does what they're supposed to, which then changes up the American standings, where we even if with a loss to Memphis still sit at four and three, and our loss to Temple sit at four and three. Um, SMU's at uh, four and two. Memphis would be up there at like six and two. And Houston still sits high atop of the conference at six and zero, but the the conference looks a lot more normal. But Memphis has lost to teams that have hel- like propelled these teams up much higher than they should be, and have won against teams that like are trying to vie for those top spots. Um, which I, then again, I'm not going to say that Tulsa. Um, that the uh, where was it? Here we go. Oh, I lost it. Yeah, that the uh, the the Tulsa win. And the Cincinnati went like, obviously Tulsa's not vying for a top spot. We are, but Wichita as well. Like I think Wichita and Tulsa are just going to be free games for everybody this year. I really want to see how Memphis plays against Temple. That's the one that I'm curious about. And that's what I think is going to be a real telltale sign for the rest of this season. Because if I look at their schedule live, let's see. Memphis plays Temple. Um, not until February 24th, uh, which is still a ways out. So maybe it won't be as telltale. Um, but regardless, I want to see how they perform because they have at Houston at SMU then verse or like then temple at home in that three game stretch there. Um, so I would be interested to see how they perform because Memphis, I think has just been a very interesting storyline this year. Um, and I think they've had some, apparently they've had some injuries. Um, some other things, I don't really know how much of all that checks out because that was mainly what I heard from Penny lashing out at the media. Um, but I think the biggest thing here that we have to learn is that the AAC is just not going to be, uh, a high, uh, NCAA tournament conference bid kind of conference this year, um, for all of the reasons we have already mentioned. Um, and I think with the Temple loss, you know, we'll see how we perform the rest of the year. If we win out, maybe we've got a chance, especially against like a Houston and Memphis. But we were on the bubble and we were looking really good on the bubble after Tulsa and after Temple. It looks like we are out of the bubble. (laughs) So I don't know, man. This is (laughs) this is just an interesting year in AAC basketball, like probably the most interesting year that we've seen because the teams that should be performing aren't and the teams that shouldn't be performing. Some of them are, and some of them are just still awful, like leaps and bounds above awful. <laughs> so I, I don't know, man. It's a mystery to me. Yeah, it's just, I, I like, I don't know. This conference is just hot garbage, and we just happen to be hot garbage in that year, too. Um, Memphis is really just the only thing that has given me like any joy because isn't even like fun right now they're just kicking ass but they're not really yeah. like doing anything fun like 
they were kind of fun when uh, they lost at Alabama and then like the coaching staff like knocked over the <laughs> the trash yeah. can and like the yeah. poor guy had to pick it up, which was very funny. Um, yeah, like, I definitely I mean, I like bad boys in college basketball because I feel like this sport lends itself to more more characters, you know, than college football. I feel like like there's a great clip of uh John Calipari and a temple coach former temple coach uh, John Chaney who passed away last year of uh, uh there's a game at UMass uh when Calipari was there when he was like really young and uh Temple was uh like they were playing against Temple in the old A10 and Calipari was getting on the refs at the end of the game and he was talking to his press conference and John Chaney walked into the press conference he's like how dare you 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 give those three nice guys hell all forty minutes, and then you and you have the gall to come in here and talk trash about them, and then like he starts charging up against the stage. He's like, "I'll kill you! I'll kill you!" And, like, <laughs> and just like just things like that, like that makes it so much more fun. But I feel like Houston and Kelvin Sampson haven't really been that fun this year. They're just kind of been generally like world beater good, you know. But yeah. Penny is making it a lot more fun, and I respect him for it. Well, I want to add this too, since we just mentioned Houston. They're 17 and 2, which is pretty crazy because that is definitely a world beater team. What makes this even more of a world beater team is that their two losses come against Wisconsin and Alabama. Wisconsin, a 65 to 63 game, and Alabama, number nine, Alabama at that, an 83 to 82 loss. So both of their losses come by one possession, uh, which puts them two games, uh, essentially, two possessions out of 19 and 0, which is nuts. Like that's how good this Houston team is. But again, Houston beat temple by only five points. Um, and beat Tulsa, um, by only two. So that's what I missing two guys. They're missing Marcus Sasser and they're missing another guy too. Like they've been missing them since December. Probably. I think. Yeah. And like, they're still that good. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how that that team plays out because I think we've had this perception that once we go into the Big Twelve, it's going to be hell um, to play in basketball. Um, if Houston keeps playing like this, they're going to make it hell for us just getting there. <laughs> so, um, hopefully, um, honestly, I think it's all for the best if Houston keeps steamrolling um, because that if we can manage to snag a win over Houston would look fantastic, um, obviously. But um, even if we can't, like, I mean, as much as I want to hate on Houston, like, they're just playing out of their minds right now. Um, And that's something that, like, as a conference, that what we're going through this year, we got to root for somebody because we need representation because Memphis sure as hell isn't going to be in it. And SMU might might make their way in, but Houston is certifiably our biggest candidate. So we need them to win against everybody else. Uh, hopefully, just not us. <laughs> yeah, and um, like I, I think that's a good bellwether mark for how we can build this program up. And like, Kevin yeah. Sampson is obviously a good coach, you know. So I'm just I'm excited for the future, and I like having a familiar opponent when we go into the big 12, because like, I think that's going to make this move even more exciting. Like we know how good of a basketball conference is going to be. And I'm just, I'm excited about that, but obviously yeah. a little bit of rough sledding right now. Um, speaking yeah. of coaches, Justin, well, uh, actually let's do uniforms real quick and then we can go to the, yes. the other coaches. 
I really wanted to open with this so badly. I made the full outline. I was going to call this one The Cats Are Back because it just makes sense. We, we get the uniform drop this week, and then we'd have two wins, huge win over Tulsa and a win over Temple on the road. But what happened last night, I just can't call it that anymore. So <laughs> anyways, please go into the uniforms because I know this is definitely much more on your end than it is mine. Follow at UC uniforms. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for the, the shout out there. So this was teased in December uh, and officially released last Friday. The Bearcats are going back to the 70s wearing the uniforms that say the cats on them. And um, I guess Spencer was the first one to tweet this back in 2014. I was not very active on the internet back then, but I do distinctly remember tweeting and Instagramming um, a post uh, of like a picture of 70s basketball uniforms with the cats written on them. And I think the red one is just as good as the white one. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I tweeted it out last week, but um, man, they are hot fire. Um, and like the old Bearcat on the shorts, too was hot like i didn't like that they mm-hmm. i didn't realize that that was a ncaa rule that you can't put numbers in the corners anymore you have to put them on like your stomach on the middle of the uniform which i thought was interesting um it sucks too <laughs> yeah yeah it's generally not a good rule um i guess it's just because you can't see them on the side really but that was why the 92 uniforms didn't have them on the side i didn't realize that but uh kind of cool now uh, that we learned that detail um, the behind the scenes was pretty cool about it too they kind of had to recreate all of that stuff from scratch because none of those vectors or anything were in files or even in drawings anywhere so they kind of just yep. had to remake it uh, on the computer so that was cool um, and like the whole vibe of it, it sounds like it's going to be fun like they're going back to the old uh, advertising uh, moniker from the 70s of we're Bearcatty in Cincinnati, which I think is yep. awesome. It also coincided with the home field apparel uh, merch drop, which was a bunch of retro gear and UC releasing retro uniforms, which I thought was interesting that home field didn't have a the cats shirt because I feel like that would have been a hot fire, especially Do you on think home they field. quick question, just very quick. Do you think they talk to each other about that at all or no? I, I would think because of like licensing, but I don't know. I don't even know if that, I mean, like, I guess they had to get it licensed just to uh, sell the t-shirts uh, on like, right. for UC, but maybe UC wanted to hold that one just for themselves and like let yeah, Homefield get fair. everything else, which I can understand, yeah. but I thought that was kind of weird. There wasn't a crossover there, but agreed. I think overall though, I was really happy with them. Like it's an interesting time in UC apparel when like back in the seventies, there was really not much black being worn. It was a lot of red and white, you know? Yeah. And, Black didn't really become a color until the 80s. I would credit the Bearcats with that, but really wanted... uh, Honestly, I think the Bearcats were before the Falcons. Like I I remember that was the big thing that a lot of people talk about is when the Falcons changed their uniforms in the uh, mid-90s, but the Bearcats were ahead of that. Like I remember seeing footage of football games in 1984 where the Bearcats were wearing black uniforms and black helmets. So um, Mm -hmm. I think they had switched to basketball black uniforms uh, in that era too. So kind of interesting how the Bearcats were pretty much first on the trend of black uniforms. And they obviously black is one of our school colors. It's not like it was just an accent or anything. So yeah, kind of like that period though of time in UC football history and we, uh, UC history. And we saw that too with the homecoming football uniforms a couple of years ago where they were all red and like with just hints of black. I would love yep. to see 
that kind of style come back as an alternate. And I know there's limited games for college basketball, and it really can't be like the NBA where you have five jerseys you can wear on any given night. Uh, right. It feels like Wes is trying to maybe go out of the boundaries a little bit. Like we've worn red like five times this year so far and yeah. black only three. And obviously those, the cats uniforms are going to be worn two times. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw them a third time in the conference championship, uh, in yep. the conference uh, tournament should be Definitely. fun because we, uh, it was, well, we will be in the conference championship. <laughs> there we what go. are you talking about Steve? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It's hard to doubt. Um, but we wore <laughs> Remember with Mick, we wore the throwbacks in the conference tournament and in the uh, NCAA tournament that yeah. year, where we had the '92 throwbacks. So, well, and it felt like we wore the. I mean, I was about to uh, ask you about that too because I'm curious if you know how many times we actually wore that because it felt like we wore those a ton. I mean, we did we did it at least two seasons, right? I have the uh, Excel database right here. Yeah, we wore it for two seasons. And um, yep. I'm going to pull up, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm pulling up the uh, correct number of games, but uh, we wore it seven times and we were seven and zero oh in those uniforms. Never lost in a game. Only in seven times that we won that or worn those though. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Cause I feel like from those se- like from that 17, 18, or I guess it was, is it 17, 18 or 16, 16 17, 18? 17, 18. Yeah. Uh, for those two seasons, like it felt like we wore them a ton. Maybe it's just because of like the pictures that come up from those seasons, but like it felt like we wore those so many more than seven times. Oh, um, I think it's also just because we wore those in the tournament, and I, I feel like more pictures get taken in the in the tournament than than not, you know. And yeah. more pictures get taken in the conference tournament as well. So, but five is pretty good. I feel like that's a that's yeah. a strong number. And in, in that last season at the old fifth third, and then two. Right. Uh, during the season at NKU, we had to wear them for that Memphis yeah. game just to rub it in their face again. Uh, and then <laughs> we wore it for that Tulsa game for a senior night that year. I think that was gotcha. probably a player decision to wear that. But I would love yeah. to see these come back next year. And I think the smart thing, so they're not selling these jerseys right now because it's kind of crazy that Wes put this in and Wes, Wes brought this idea. Uh, originally, I thought this would have been like a premeditated idea that it had like right. maybe saved for when COVID was over, but kind of cool that Wes had this idea to like bring, bring some throwback uniforms in. And I'm sure he asked for the Jordan uniforms, but Oh yeah. <laughs> that template is owned by Jordan and we can't use that right now. Once we yeah. get back with Jordan, that'll be a permanent uh, alternate uniform. And I, I'm going to be excited oh, yeah. about that. Um, But like, well, I, think, I, these these the cats uniforms. I would love to see them come back for another year. And if they come back for another year, that would be a perfect chance for UC to sell them. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go yes. ahead. No, 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 no. Well, I was I was about to say something about that too. Is like, I think that you know, alternate uniforms are definitely a conversation that's a very open uh, kind of ended one. But I think that we should be wearing kind of alternates a lot more, just because like we obviously we have the red alternate, um, which. It's kind of weird because now that we when we when you have a throwback uniform on top of that, so now we have a total of four. It does start start to feel like we have a ton, um, and especially because we have hardly worn black this year, like you had already mentioned. Um, I just find it very interesting, though, that like for how much work and effort and budget too goes into throwbacks, uh, that they just don't get utilized more. I mean, maybe it's just a thing of like trying to make sure that your identity stays at the forefront, um, like your current modern identity. Um, but I don't know. I feel like it gets some, it's something that the fans get up for. Um, and I'm sure like 
I haven't looked at kind of like ticket sales or availability, but I'm sure the Memphis game is near, if not already sold out. Um, I would certainly hope so. But um, the only the only qualm I have with these throwbacks um, is one singular thing, which I I don't want to say, but I have to say it because I just can't not see it, and I hope I don't scar your eyes for it. But the like hissing, like hurling cat um, that we have, like that you know is the throwback cat. The little paw marks behind it, just because the tail's up, I can't see it as anything else other than uh, you know mm. it's. <laughs> it's just shooting shit out of its ass. Like I can't, I can't see anything else other than that. That angle but on those like, paw prints, yeah, yeah. It's like it, it's it's the original design, so they obviously went with it. Um, and of course, nobody else is probably going to see that. They're going to see the paws. I just I saw that once, and unfortunately, I can't unsee that. Um, but I really do like the um, like the variety too of the like different bear cats that they're showing. And actually this is a thing that I had talked to you about last night um, that I might share with you guys, uh, listeners and followers of the pod eventually um, trying to work on some, like what are some sort of modernized updates of some of these other logos um, that could be interesting. So kind of playing around with that, but regardless um, the whole idea of bringing back these throwback uniforms is pretty cool. And we mentioned this um, initially with the throwback uniforms it would be sweet to just see some kind of, I don't even if it's not a game, something in armory. Um, Cause obviously they filled like the debut video of the, or the release uniform video um, in armory, but I would love to see a lot more um, just use of that building as far as like being tied into this. And I know they're going to um, one extra thing that's, you know, we've kind of, I don't know if we've mentioned cause we've stuck really to the uniforms, but they are supposed to have, a lot of um, pieces and parts of armory in the new arena for those games. So that'll be cool too. Um, I would imagine they're probably going to have some kind of, um, they'll bring back the maybe display onto the floor. I, we had that. I I swear we had that for a game at some point. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you know how they do like projections off the bottom of the uh, Jumbotron. Um, that would be sweet because I'm sure like I can just imagine like a clip rolling um, of like, you know, the sort of old timey clips of highlights on the floor while everybody's getting ready to like go. That would be sweet. I would kill for that. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure that's probably something that they've got in their lineup. Um, but regardless, the graphics for all this stuff looks really cool. I think that we should be using the block C more. I would like to see the block you see like return as a identity like just a i know it's a retro thing but i think it's just clean personally there's a lot of good logos with uc in them and uh, i hate the current university logo by the way the university logo is trash i've hated it it. ever since it came out Uh, it's not not a good logo objectively um but (laughs) there's a lot of good old logos with u and c in them and i would i I think i would like to see those come back um yeah i think there's a lot of Obviously, this is more done in NBA because they are able to produce and sell the jerseys better. But some kind of like uh, retro edition, like this year, where city jerseys were just a bunch of uh, different parts of franchise histories mixed into like mm-hmm. one one jersey. I would love to see something like that for UC. Um, when I when I when I have Photoshop full time on my computer, uh, Justin, that's like one of my things I would love to do is like do mashups and things like that like in my free time yeah and like i just 
like there's a, a bunch of the uniform creator community is cool like there's a bunch of dudes out there yeah. creating cool stuff like this one guy uh so he follows clemson and he's the a huge clemson fan does all their uniforms and stuff and uh he created a uh like a concept idea of for because you know Clemson's secondary color is purple. They yeah. he created a secondary idea for Clemson, but it was the Raptors '90s purple uniforms, and he made the Clemson Tiger into the Raptor dribble in the basketball, and that was awesome. That was such a cool idea. Sweet. And like our guy uh, Captain Sensi, that's like four podcasts in a row that Captain Sensi has come up on yeah. the show. <laughs> um, but he obviously tweets out the. Uh, turning UC's lo- uh, the other team's logo into a UC logo. And a lot of the looks that yeah. he comes up with are really neat. And I, I yeah. might have to steal some of his ideas for these future concepts. <laughs> but um, otherwise, I'm just excited. I'm going to the Memphis game. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun. It's a Thursday night. I'm kind of hoping Memphis brings their throwback uniforms too. Because that would be just... I, I hate that when... It's not as feasible in college, but when one team wears throwbacks and the other team like doesn't have a set or doesn't wear like their throwback set, like I would love to see us do that, like wear the yeah you know, throwbacks back. And interesting other piece of history, history, Justin. This is the fourth different uh, UC throwback that we'll be wearing uh, in the since I started tracking the uniforms, which is over the past. 15 years. I haven't been tracking them that long, but that's like the last <laughs> the amount of data that's there. We wore a uh, Oscar era jersey. We wore the championship era jerseys. We wore the 92 jerseys, and now we're going to have the 70s. So uh, once we get the Jordan contract back uh, and we get those 99 to 2002 jerseys back with the cat scratches on the side, uh, the four blocks, that's going to be complete set. Yep. That'll be, that'll be nice. And I think that would cover pretty much every uniform i mean at least that's like a decade's worth of era on almost all of those i would so. love to see those 92 to 97 jerseys come back at some point with like the little like angled uh shorts you know mm-hmm. and like those were like they had the old nike logo too with the nike on the on top of the swoosh those were hot i like those yeah but obviously not I, as good as the the 99 ones yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing too. Is like, as you can see, like we have a uh, quite a deep history of uniforms to tap into. I think the ones that you mentioned too are like some of the more obscure ones. Like, I think that's almost like the it's it's in the height of basketball for like Cincinnati, but it's still in a pretty obscure thing because it's not one that you see very often. Like, I mean, especially compared against like the you know the Kenyan era and the ninety uh, twos. And like those those kind of jerseys, I only see a but couple of Danny Fortson jerseys at UC games. You don't see many. Yeah. <laughs> um, but regardless, we could talk about unis all day long. We should probably just start another podcast for unis by itself. But <laughs> Cincinnati uniforms today. <laughs> yeah. Um, one quick thing that we want to hit on: we're getting you know kind of long here on time, so we won't go into too much detail on it because um, we do want to touch on the Bengals too at the end here. Um, but. Quick update on some old faces. Uh, This is a very interesting pinwheel uh, contrast topic, again, to go with the theme of the duality of man for this this week's podcast. Um, Mick Cronin and Chris Mack, let's give a quick update on where they're at. So Mick Cronin um, is coaching number seven UCLA, as we all know. Um, You might not know that they're number seven, but UCLA has been performing very well. Regardless, they just beat down number three Arizona last night by 16 points. 
which is a big old oof. And which also for Mick Cronin, I know UCLA recruits itself, but it's insane to me that like for all the big games that we've needed to win over time and like granted, you know, it's going to come in March and that's a one and done kind of deal. But from where he was in uh, the last tournament and then to come through and like be beating teams like this by margins like this, I don't, we, we knew that we had that in Mick and I don't know uh, what happened. (laughs) Mick is doing very well. And Chris Mack on the other hand is not doing very well. Um, Steve, would you like to enlighten us on what is happening with Chris Mack? Uh, He's getting a big fat check to not coach basketball anymore. Um, (laughs) So last night, that's a really good way to put it too. (laughs) Uh, So last night news trickled out uh, from Louisville uh, Justin, I don't really, uh, so I've been talking to you about this, but I'll share with the listeners. There's a show called Kentucky sports radio, and, uh, I don't really don't listen all that much. Like they're fun, but, uh, it's obviously Kentucky based and I don't really like Kentucky, but they're probably at their best when they're, uh, making fun of Louisville. And it's very enjoyable to listen to as someone who still doesn't like Louisville from all those games before, you know, and like, there's just been so much turmoil, over the past few years, obviously with FBI, Patino, uh, yep. like Petrino, like it seems like there's always something going on at Louisville. And like even last month, uh, last December, I wanted to fire the football coach, but the president said no. And then a day later, the president informed the board of directors that she was leaving for the Penn State job. And the AD stepped <laughs> down. So, and then they just fired their their basketball coach without with an interim ad and no president so, so yeah um which is just crazy um and uh there's been rumblings that pinto might go back uh uc's president neville pinto might go back to louisville where he came from um there's been at least a thought that he that might be something that he would do um which you know presidents are presidents but they, they come and go um but i like I already saw that like people were talking about them taking Wes, and I was like, no, please don't. Yeah, I like him, but uh, we're talking about Chris Mack here. Boy, man, you're talking about fumbling the bag. I guess he really didn't because he's going to get paid over ten million dollars to not coach anymore. But which is just stupid. Yeah, <laughs> but you think about this, Justin. You have you're, you're at your alma mater. You're you just like had a number one seed. You are recruiting uh, at a really high clip in a really great conference, and like you've got all the backing of the alumni, the fans, everyone's on your side. Everyone loves you, and like you could be a legend yeah. there. You coach for like ten more years, get them to their f- first Final Four. You're probably getting a statue outside of that uh, of Centos, but uh, you follow the money, you follow the big job, and look where it got you. <laughs> you you yeah. get chewed up and spit out, and. Uh, the kid that he recruited to Xavier, Paul Scruggs, lasted longer at Xavier than Chris Mack did at Louisville, which to me yeah. is hilarious. And um, yeah, <laughs> it seemed like at the end, like the job was just overwhelming for him. Like there was a clip of him in a press conference last week that I watched with great joy, where uh, he was like, uh, the, the a reporter asked him, like, Chris, have you uh, thought about what you said earlier when you said like you can't motivate your players? He's like. I don't have any memory of me saying I can't motivate my players. And then someone clipped in a press conference where he said, I don't know how I can motivate these guys. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, just I, Chris Mack, man, like he extorted his 
former assistant coach Dino Gaudio, um, who wanted his full contract, but he recorded him without Dino knowing and sent that to the FBI un- without Louisville knowing that either. And man, it's yep. he seemed like it seemed like that job took about ten years off his life. Like he, yeah. It's crazy to think that he messed up Louisville that badly, and like they're gonna go get like Bruce Pearl, I guess, is the number one guy now. And um, just want to know Auburn, right? Uh, yeah, from Auburn. Yeah, yeah. I just want to know um, what John Man, uh, John Brandon, and Chris Mack uh, are gonna be doing in their vacation home next year, uh, because as you might yeah. remember, <laughs> they solidified a, an agreement for UC and Louisville to play basketball back to back years uh, while they were on that agreement uh, that. A vacation and um, and in back to back years they have been nixed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so we better watch out for Christy MacBurner accounts, uh, and we better watch out for Tom Mars uh, to just unleash hell on the city of Louisville. So those red bars are going to be showing up, baby. <laughs> like, those red frames are going to be placard all over Twitter. Well, man, uh, I and mean, we we already talked about Penny Hardaway being a clown earlier, and that, that's just funny, but. Um, I take great joy out of Louisville being uh, the way they are and like just being incredibly dysfunctional. And uh, I'm going to listen to that KSR podcast. They do their show uh, in the mornings. And so I'm going to listen to it just, just to hear them trash Louisville to, for two hours. And um, I'm going to enjoy it a lot because last <laughs> five years at Louisville, after all the success they had, they had to take down the banner. They had to fire their legendary head coach. They had to fire a football yep. coach. They had a guy win the Heisman, uh, but he didn't do anything with it. Their their football program is in shambles. Their basketball program is in shambles. They don't have a university president. Their their AD was going to take another job, didn't get that job, still resigned anyway. Damn. <laughs> There's just Damn. a lot going on at Louisville. <laughs> so, um, dude, no. I like just just hearing you list all that off. Like, obviously, like I'm laughing, but like I can't help but have this big like wide cracked open smile listening to you list off every single one of those points like i still hate louisville man i hate them yeah i do too i can't stand them and it's it gives me great joy to see them uh go go down in flames and i suffer i tweeted this on the barstool account back in the day but uh um so uc lost you know to uh, shared the uh, regular season american conference championship with louisville in 2013 uh when they were uh when they ended up winning the whole thing and so yep. when the banner got taken down uh all their wins got stripped so i enjoyed tweeting uh, congratulations to the sole winner of the regular season conference championships from 2013-14 your cincinnati yeah. bearcats <laughs> that, yeah. that got a lot of love so i think there's still a little bit of fire there for that game uh bring back the keg and nails yeah i mean it's it's that's stupid that we don't have that anymore like i would love to see that rivalry reignited, even if it's like a Miami game, because if their program's as bad as it's been, I mean, it, it might just be another Miami game, which also subtle, but very large shade upon Miami, uh, which again, like at this point, because we've, we have proven that Miami is just insufferably awful in a different league altogether than the Cincinnati Bearcats. And that rivalry has basically been extinguished. Why not just replace it with the keg of nails? Just give us that every year. That'd I'm, be a lot more interesting. I'm good with it. So, question <laughs> for you before we do our Bengals talk. Uh, Chris Mack, big yeah. Bengals fan, by the way. I guess he'll be. He's got some money to go to the game on Sunday now. Yeah, um, he's got time. <laughs> he's got nothing but time. Uh, so, 
a couple years ago when uh, they fired Petrino and then they ended up hiring this new guy. Um, they tried to hire Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom, uh, a native son of Louisville, uh, who ended up staying at Purdue of all places rather than go to Louisville. Very funny. Um, with someone that was like, you know, you go hire Fickle and you don't ask questions about it. And <laughs> there's a lot of UC people who are obviously very upset with that. And the guy quotes tweeted is like, sure, UC's good right now. This was after the 10 win season, the first 10 win season. Yeah. He's like, sure, UC's good right now, but. Louisville is always going to be the better program. And I, I, I keep receipts in my head, Justin. I keep receipts in my head. Um, I was, Lock them down. And we both know um, a former UC employee uh, who now works at Louisville. And uh, whether you like him, whether you liked him during his time here or not, um, <laughs> it's funny to, to see how much success UC has had. And while he's had to be, uh, down there at that that other red and black school, dude. It's uh, <laughs> Louisville Carl. is a mess. But again, it brings back my original point and what is so interesting about uh, what has happened to these two coaches: uh, the duality of Cincinnati. It's the duality of everything because there is extreme contrast, and that is the only theme of today's podcast. Which we're going to bring in another little bit of extreme contrast. The 2019 Bengals, sad, beaten, broken, out of luck. No more because the Bengals are going to the AFC Championship, baby. <laughs> Somehow, some way, the Bengals managed to pull it off in Tennessee. They had like three picks, maybe even four. I think it was three. Um, and managed to do everything right. And when it came down to it, Tennessee had the ball with like a minute, minute and a half to go. Two minutes. I'm looking at this as like, this is going to be a two minute warning drill. Tennessee is going to march down the field. Game's tied. They're going to score. We're going to lose. It's going to suck. And then, oh. So the most beautiful, perfect moment. The interception that seals it, gets Evan McPherson in position. And we kick that fucking field goal and go to the AFC championship. Justin. I was at the Bengals' first win of that 2019 season where they uh, somehow beat the listless New York Jets. I think the Bengals were 0-10-1 at the time. I had uh, So there's a guy named Reflog, uh, Reflog18 on Twitter who led the charge for the Cleveland Browns 0-18 parade, um, uh, 0-16 parade in 2017 or whatever year that was that when they paraded around the stadium, uh, all the Browns fans, and I asked him for his blessing uh, for a similar Bengals one that I was going to coordinate if they ended up going winless that year. And I literally remember being at an empty Paul Brown stadium, texting him, uh, DMing him on Twitter before the game saying, Hey, I want to do similar, something similar for the Bengals, but I want to get your permission first. Is it cool? And he was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead, run with it. Then the Bengals win that game somehow. And don't have to do a lot of work. That's awesome. <laughs> that was great. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have had to worry about that. But if you told me, Justin, on that day, that our Cincinnati Bengals are going to be in the AFC Championship game just a mere two seasons later with the same head coach, I would have been like, yep. "Boy, you crazy? No, that's that's not a thing. Uh, that, that's not possible." Um, you would have asked me to put money down on that game so you could sucker punch it out of me. <laughs> I, I would have told you that. Like I had a better chance of 
like coming the CEO of Skyline Chili then in that <laughs> in that time span. Uh, Skyline hit us up, sponsor us. We we love you. You love us. Uh, let's 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 put in this work. It's a match made in heaven. Come on. Man, it was just awesome. Like we FaceTimed after the game. We were talking for a little bit. I was actually at a family party, so I hid in the bathroom for a good ten minutes and was just <laughs> calling all my friends and just like, Oh my god, I I literally thought about running outside and screaming for a little bit, but um <laughs> I did not. It was an engagement party, so I had to be be a little bit chill. But uh one of my it was my cousin's engagement party, one of my cousin's friends' boyfriends was there wearing like his bangle gear and it was it was a funny crowd there by the way it was a half the people were wearing nice stuff and half the people were wearing their bangles jerseys and just it was an interesting mix of people um how dare they schedule their engagement party right, uh when they didn't know that the Bengals were going to play on that day how dare they justin <laughs> how dare they it, it was just like it was literally like i was trying not to be upset i was trying to play it cool because obviously you're in public. You can't be a crazy person. You got to kind of be just chill. But then, like, I was watching the game while we were helping set up for the party. Interception from uh, P. Ryan happens. We score on a crazy catch and throw from Tannehill to Brown. Like, I think our group chat was about to burn down at that moment. And then our guy, Joel Spencer, the eternal optimist that he is, even more than me, he's like, guys, Vibes only. Don't worry about this. We got it. And then <laughs> somehow, just in some way, we stop him on that fourth and one with a, a Derrick Henry who tried to play like the Terminator with a metal plate in his foot. Stopped him there. And Eli Apple, not my favorite guy ever, got uh, got cooked by Chris Moore in 2014 at Ohio State. Um, he somehow made a play. Uh, Wilson, the interception. Jamar beats two guys in double coverage on the next play uh, and catches a beautiful ball, Joe Burrow. And then Evan McPherson gives it the, uh, well, looks like we're going to the AFC championship game. And uh, (laughs) boots a 52 yarder and uh, uh, no one responded. So maybe I'm just crazy. But yesterday I put in our group chat, I was like, just me or has anyone else been watching the McPherson kick on a loop since Saturday? And, and I, I just keep smiling. Like I think, yeah, I would, I would love to hear from other Bengals fans, but I think that kick is the one I'm going to remember from this playoff run, even more than the Jermaine Pratt interception. Like that kick is going to be the one yeah. I remember. Like and just the elation after that, and like it's crazy to think that we beat a Titans team that was. I mean, people called them the weakest number one seed of all time, but they were definitely like a good number one seed. Got sacked nine times. Uh, Offense really did not play that well. Running game wasn't there. Like Joe was just Joe Shiesty, Joe Burr, uh, Joe Burr, mm-hmm. Joe Ice in his veins. Uh, and we're going to the AFC Championship game. We're playing the Chiefs at Arrowhead, uh, and just crazy to think about. And like, obviously, this is just a one-year run, but it just makes you feel good about the possibility of future seasons to come. And honestly, I think this is a franchise-saving run because. Yep. If you look at it, Justin, like the the stadium deal comes up in a few years, and obviously, the Browns are rich; they should probably pay for their own stadium, but they're going to ask for public money. For this season, I wasn't so sure that they were going to get it, but now I think they're going to get it, and I think that we're going to have mm-hmm. the Bengals here for at least another thirty years. And yep, 
I think like people just wanted to see it. Like people were always going to be fans of this team. This is a football town, Justin. I was on a Twitter spaces with at Brendel uh, and a couple other guys for the home field launch last week. And like, it's a football city, you know, people love baseball. People love basketball here. Don't get me wrong, but this is a football crazy town. Like college on uh, Saturdays, high school on Friday nights, uh, Bengals on Sundays. Like even when the Bengals were bad, there were still people who would go to my church wearing like their Bengals gear on Sundays and like always show up in their Jersey to church, which at, at like Catholic church, isn't really just a thing you do. It's cause like, I don't know, like not that you can't wear whatever you want, but you know, Justin, like you're not really supposed to be wearing jerseys in church, but like, <laughs> that's what people do here. Like they just wear their jerseys yeah. in church. And like, this is a football crazy city and to see people, enjoy it and have all of those things validated was just cool. And uh, I don't know it's just a fan. It's validation for sure. But and it's just fun. Like again on Sun, like he said last week, you know, like I think our, everybody's mindset was going in, like we can win this game, but how great is it to just get that monkey off our back and be able to play in this next weekend? And I think now you can say that even more like, man, on our first playoff road game in franchise history, and now we're in the AFC title game against a team we beat a few years ago, weeks ago. Like we can win this game again. It's mm-hmm. not going to be a letdown st- still because it was just an awesome game and an awesome win for this team. And I don't know. It's just it feels like cloud nine right now. Justin feels like we've been like lifted from uh, uh, from hell to heaven on angels' wings, and it's just very cool, you know. So. I am just, I'm over the over the moon, overjoyed. What were your reactions watching on TV? I was I was um, watching on TV too, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't know. Um, honestly, like I was pretty glued into that game, and especially once like the fourth quarter came around. Um, seeing how, seeing how like resilient the Bengals were, and like trying to just kept trying to push and push and push. Um, it. It was nice because, like, honestly, like, we didn't have a whole lot of uh, success, I would say, um, in the second half. Um, it, it was kind of one of those things where, like, it was really just a defensive effort the entire game. And, and eventually, the defense is what ended up pulling through um, multiple times, getting us some key interceptions. Um, but I think if we, if we look at the way the whole game went down, um, being able to sit on the couch, even if not being in there, being able to sit on the couch as a Bengals fan and know going into a game like this and going into the final like 10 minutes, you're not going to be set up for immediate disappointment um, because there's an actual chance feels really good um, because I think that's the big narrative that we've been trying to shift for so long is like, it's it's just it felt like that for a long stretch for no matter what Cincinnati team you're watching. It just felt like no matter what glimmering little spot of hope you could get, there was an inevitable uh it was inevitable that you would be let down. Um and I think finally we've kind of cracked that code to where now we're in a place where the Bengals, uh the Bearcats like hopefully <laughs> at Reds at FC Cincinnati get it together, but you know it, it feels like there's a change starting to happen. Um, and to have a team that's got such a young core, 
um, and, and that cares about winning for the city and cares about having higher expectations. Um, just overall, that I think in itself is a lot different than we've seen. Just having higher expectations and not being the team that's the constant letdown, I think is huge. Um, and that's a big game changer. And I hope that that's something that the Bengals um, and the Reds and the city of Cincinnati, the Bearcats, all together are going to ride on. And that's going to be, we, we are not going to be, um, we are not going to let expectations be reality. Um, because I think everybody would have expected us to um, lose that game against the Titans. Uh, we, we were not supposed to, especially with Derrick Henry coming back. I would like to say um, that I will remember, always remember when Derrick Henry got activated uh, for this game and it was supposed to torch the Bengals and drop like 200 yards on her head and um, inevitably got stuffed. Twice. Got absolutely stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> Twice at, at one and, on the goal line, one on fourth and one. Yeah. And, and, and it's those plays again were huge. And that defensively, we showed up. Um, and I think it's, like I said, just nice to finally be in a position where it feels like the Bengals can really do some damage. Um, you know, we're going into this game uh, playing the Chiefs now. It's nice to also say that we're one of four teams left. Two Cincinnati teams have made a Final Four this year. That's pretty cool, um, especially when it comes to football. Um, but regardless, like, to be in this position to play the Chiefs, who we've already beat this year, um, and by no means is that a guarantee because we got to play them in Arrowhead, but um, it's going to be tough. But I think the Bengals still have a legitimate shot. And, like, you got to remember... You win this game, you are going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> that is just something that's like laughable excitement because it's just it's it's something that we have never had a taste of, not even sniffed as fans. We've never come close in our lifetimes. So to be in that position where we can actually say that to win one game and you're in the game, um, that's that's pretty fucking cool. As had uh Rothstein would say the buzz is palpable. <laughs> How about it? It doesn't matter who you are, way. you're still susceptible to being hacked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love the reaction to like, I'm selling PS5s, everybody, and everybody's like, oh no, not Rothstein. He got <laughs> he got gut. brutality. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but yeah, awesome win for the Bengals. By the way, Justin, um, do you rather see the Bengals go back to like have a throwback night of the eighties uniforms or the early 2000s uniforms. Um, is this just an in general question? Just in general. Yeah, I'm just curious. Oh. Okay, cuz um cuz they said 80s or 90s or 80s or 2000s? Well, cuz basically Justin, they're both the same look like they both have TV yeah. numbers and like the tiger stripes, but the one's got the leaping bengal head and I want the leaping right. bengal head back. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but also, also we did we played like shit in those eras. Like we weren't that good. So yeah, I, I guess I could see them going to the '80s first. But man, uh, man, like that, I love that Bengal t- uh, leaping Bengal. I want that back. I think everybody wants that back. The B is like it's just it's it's a logo. Like it's there, but like the leaping Bengal is so much more exciting. And like the Vikings, I mean they. Their logo has nothing to do with like a V or anything of Minnesota. Like it doesn't represent anything. So why can't we just have the Bengal tiger? Like everybody knows what it is. It doesn't need to be explained. I don't know. 
I, I think I'd rather go with the 80s personally. I think it's a look, but I, I love the Leaping Tiger too. I mean, yeah. that's a, at least maybe just throw a hodgepodge and just throw it out in the middle of the field with an 80s throwback uniform. <laughs> I'm good for it. Put it on the center field logo again. I miss that. That's a very, that is a very uh, iconic image that's stuck into my brain as a child. Me too. Me too. Uh, I distinctly remember like Brett Favre playing against the Bengals and then that one random drunk fan uh, hopping on the field, ac- running across the Bengal logo, taking the ball out of Brett Favre's hands and running away. <laughs> like, and then the Bengals won that game. But yeah, I, I, I associate that with good memories. So since should we close this out? Sounds good. It's like Chris Mack we've... closing out his tenure at Louisville. Yeah. Except the difference is we don't get a $10 million check. Uh, <laughs> I'd take a $10 check right now. Um, which actually, um, in the middle of your uh, conversation about the Bengals, I would just like to let you and the listeners know, um, I may have finally, uh, we'll, we'll see how this turns out, but I may have finally gotten through on my court case and uh, may have finally won the lawsuit. Hey. So I'm getting my fucking money, baby. <laughs> getting my money. <laughs> Write me my check. We'll see. You gotta pay me my money. I gotta make sure that check clears. Here's one thing to learn, actually, folks. We'll give you one quick lesson before your way out. If you ever are uh, in, if if there is money owed to you and somebody writes you a check, before you give up on anything, make sure that check clears. Make sure that check is posted in your account because somebody can write you a check and then you can be all happy and dandy. You can let go, let go of your litigations, drop your case, whatever. You can pull your money and just say, all right, we worked it out. But if that check doesn't clear, they can still pull that before it posts. And I will tell you, my friends, you don't want to deal with that. So just be smart. Play the long game. It's like the Cincinnati Bearcats did after they beat the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in South Bend. I had to wait for the check to clear after that game as well because they got paid $1.5 million to go up there and kick some ass. The epitome of brutality. You hate to see it, but you love to see it. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in this week. Hopefully you've enjoyed um, the duality of Cincinnati and all of the interesting contrasts we have been able to provide and explain and list this week. So uh, take care. Stay tuned for next week. Not sure what we're going to have, but we'll have something for you. Um, and go Bearcats. Bear go Bengals. Go Bengals, really. We, go Bengals more, more than anything right now because that's Super Bowl. Day. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a huge telltale thing. So, all right. Take care, folks. Have a good week. See you all later. Yos. Sports Social Podcast Network.